Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 130 called Elizabeth. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. And thanks to science, we know that sperm counts. Belly's for men prenatal, specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients, optimized to help increase sperm count, improve sperm morphology and motility, help with egg penetration, and boost overall fertility. To get started with Belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code Allie15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, it's bellybaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com and use code Allie, A-L-I-15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Okay, guys. So I'm so excited to tell you about my guest today. Her name is Elizabeth King. I met her through Instagram and she and I have become friends. She is a certified fertility health coach, a birth and bereavement doula, and a new parent educator. And today she's going to tell me all about her path to becoming a mom over 40 to her three littles. So she had all three of her kids after she turned 40, which is really interesting. As you guys know, I had Sunny when I was 41, so we are in that club together. But Elizabeth's going to tell us everything she went through from freezing her eggs when she was single in her 30s to meeting her husband at the age of 39 and then feeling ashamed, guilty, and broken when she wasn't getting pregnant on her own. She's also going to talk about her fibroid surgery, her two miscarriages, the two babies she got pregnant with naturally, and then having her third baby through IUI. So like I said, she's a fertility coach, so she's also going to talk about coping mechanisms and tools and things she's learned along the way. So it's a great talk. She's a wonderful woman. And without further ado, this is Elizabeth's infertility story. Elizabeth, so good to talk to you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for doing this. So let's start with just family building in general. Did you always know that you wanted to have kids? So the irony of that is no, I didn't. I was not somebody that, you know, was always burning yearning to be a mom, which is crazy to say now because that changed. But I know a lot of people, I had a lot of friends growing up through college and after that were like, that's all I want to be as a mom. That wasn't, that wasn't me. No. Okay. So when, I guess, flashing forward, when did you meet your husband and when did you guys start talking about, you know, family building? Yeah. So our, my story did start a little bit before meeting my husband actually. And even before that, I, and I noticed this with telling my story so much recently is that when I was 19, my sister who was seven years older than me, she was 26 at the time was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. It was a lung cervix, lung cancer cell in her cervix. Mm -hmm. And she was basically given four months to live and had to go into emergency surgery like two days later. 
it, she's in the medical journals because she's still living and it was this big ordeal. How scary. How did they discover it? uh, Through a routine path because she had to get um, renewal on her birth control. And they said, we have to come in to do a pap in order for us to give it to you. Wow. She did because she literally would have been dead. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. So 26 year old, she had just gotten married six months before. I remember coming home to my parents' house at that time and, and ran right upstairs. She and her husband were there. I was crying hysterically. She came up and she was crying hysterically. And all she kept saying to me is I didn't mean that I didn't want to have kids. I never meant that I didn't want to have kids. Cause again, they had just gotten married. People were asking, when are you having kids? And they said, Oh, we're just going to have fur babies. Um, she's a dog person. Mm-hmm. And she was told that her surgery was going to be a radical hysterectomy, which basically meant everything was taken. They were going to try to leave her ovaries, but essentially we kind of knew that that meant nothing was going to be able to come from that. In that moment, my first instinct was I'll have a baby for you. I didn't know what that meant even at 19 years old. Wow. You know, 26 years ago now. So this was not even really a thing, Uh but I knew in my heart at that moment that I would do anything to have my sister be here and, and give that to her. So in that process at that time, we learned that, you know, you, they wouldn't do it with a family member who had not had already had children. You had to go through lots of psychological testing and whatnot so that you weren't at Thanksgiving dinner, looking across the table, thinking that was my child. Right. So again, that was kind of the start of the whole thought of fertility and it being taken away and it not being a choice and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So what happened with her? Like, I know I'm sure it was very complicated, but how did she go from having four months to live to being alive and well today? Yeah, and well in, in, in medical journals. Thank so God. She, yeah. She did. They basically said you have the option to, we're not giving you an option to have surgery. We're going to do that tomorrow but you have an option for chemo and radiation because once you have this, you will never be able to have it again in your life because we're going to give you so much that your body would not be able to sustain it again. Um, And your quality of life, of course, will not be great at this time. So again, she's 26 years old. She's kind of one of those people that is like hella skis and does all this crazy stuff. Um, So she was like, let's do this. This is not an option kind of thing. So she's literally a miracle. I was living in Italy at the time and went to every single church that I could find to light candles and pray. And our whole family reached out to everybody we knew, like, do you pray? Can you pray for her? Do you pray? Can you pray for her? So scary. The impact Uh, that must've had on your family too. Oh yeah. Crazy. Um, it's, it still affects all of us and, and you don't know that until you've kind of gone through it, but That being said, I remember laying on the beach with her at some point after the fact, and she had just come out of a radiation and the doctor had told her to put a a towel over her stomach when she would go to the beach because there was so much radiation in her body that it would basically like fry her insides and, and whatever they had left had been left with the, Oh my uh, God. The ovaries. Yeah. So at that age, even I remember thinking, okay, it's not possible that anything, those ovaries are going to survive if you can't even lay in the sun. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. let's be real. So I was a little bit frustrated by this false sense of hope because that is what she held on to. She did hold on to the hope that maybe she would be able to have 
something in these ovaries. Um, and then years later, she went to have that checked. And sure enough, there was nothing that was viable to, to take out. But, oh, wow. uh, but because of that, that led me to being aware of the people that were around me. I was in the corporate world and started at, you know, like we all do out of college at 20 and people around me were having trouble conceiving. And I remember hearing about FSH and AMH levels and things and not really knowing what that is, but people telling me like, pay attention to this when you get older, cause you don't want to be in the situation we are. And at age 30, I got divorced and mm-hmm. I, that's when I went to my fertility doctor the first time to say, I want to freeze my eggs again, not because I had this burning yearning desire, but because I had enough subconscious awareness from my experience to know that this is a thing that I should probably have in line, just mm-hmm. like you have your 401k or whatever. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's I'm kind of how I thought of it. It was more of that rather than anything else. Right. It's uh, like planning ahead. Exactly. And the doctor at that time had said, you know, you're too young, come back later. Um, you know, embryos thaw better than eggs do. And I would rather you be a little bit older and have the chance of having an embryo rather than an egg. And at this time, the thawing process and the freezing process actually was different than it is now for Mm -hmm. alone. So at age 36, I went back to him again and said, it's still single. And he said, okay, we'll do it now. The freezing process has gotten a little better, but the thawing process itself is not great. So the consistency of an egg thawing versus an embryo thawing is different. Mm -hmm. The success rates on those are different, obviously. Okay, right. So I knew that, but at the same time, I felt like better to do this than not do this and Mm -hmm. have it if I needed to. So I went through IVF at 36 and we had, we, me, myself, and I (laughs) had um, 13 retrieved and 11 frozen. Okay. How did you feel about that? Again, at that time, I thought that was okay. Given my age, I didn't realize the attrition numbers that normally can happen. And again, because I wasn't going through the the testing and, or the fertilization phase. And that's all it, you know, I stopped at that. I didn't have to go to the next steps. So I was mm-hmm. fine with 11. I thought, of course, something's got to come from that. Right. Right. That's- and did you have any friends at this, at, around that same age that were doing it as well? Or were you the only one? I was the only one, which mm-hmm. surprisingly so, because I had a lot of single friends, um, that were my age and older at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a business owner. I had a lot of friends that were in the corporate world. So we were all kind of in that phase of really building our careers and traveling around the world. And even still, now that I'm open with my story, I'm surprised that I haven't heard more people say that I've done the same thing. And I Mm -hmm. hope that we can reach more people to say, have that backup plan, right? Because you never know what's going to happen down the line and it's better to have it than not have it. And Mm -hmm. now with technology getting better all the time, check in with a fertility doctor and see like, what it, is it good for me to do now? Can I right. do that at 32? You know? Right. I think a lot of times it's, you know, money though is the factor, right? It's yeah. like, people are like, well, I don't know if I'm going to need that and I don't have the money. And unfortunately, you know, corporate doesn't cover it. Although we can say that, you know, if you advocate in your job, um, Resolve has really good kit toolkits and stuff 
you know, you can make changes. Like we've had a lot of fertility rally members lately who have done that and have gotten coverage that they didn't have before, which is really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point to make mm-hmm. even, even as a single person, mm-hmm. doing because it isn't something I've had a lot of single mothers. I say by choice, they say that it's actually not our choice. You know, we don't want this. We don't want to be a single mom by choice, but that's, we don't have anybody to do it with. So we are, we're doing it this way on our own. Mm -hmm. So I think to your point, advocating for yourself is huge and knowing what you're just having knowledge is power, right? And knowing what statistics are and knowing that you have that backup plan or for me as insurance as it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course we know it's no guarantee and that's the hard part. And it wasn't, it, unfortunately those 11 eggs didn't work out for me mm-hmm. in the end, but there was some sense of calm, I guess, going to my late thirties, knowing that I had them, I guess. Mm-hmm. So what Not, happened with the eggs? Or are you going to get to that part? I will get to that. Okay. Part. <laughs> I don't want to jump the gun. <laughs> no, I know. So that was 36, 39. I um, went to do my regular OB checkup and my periods had kind of had been off. I, they were heavier, they were more painful and they did an ultrasound and said, you have some fibroids, but they're small. It's not a big deal. And I remember thinking, "Mm, I kind of feel like it is a big deal. So I'm going to go, I went back to that fertility doctor and said, can you just check this? Because now I'm 39. Now it's starting to kick in of like, oh shit, I think I do want to have kids. I just met my husband, um, literally like months or weeks before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of a fast track of like, okay, all of a sudden it clicked on about really like 38, 39, where it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's probably going to have to happen sooner rather than later. Can you tell me how you met your husband? We worked together. So yeah, we actually, he was a guest at my first wedding. (laughs) No way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So we had worked together and been friends and then we lost track of each other for like six plus years and then reconnected at when I was 39 and, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we met, I was kind of like, this is obviously my age at this point. I think I want to have kids. Are you on board with this or not? And he already had a son who's now 20, 19. So, you know, it's always kind of a weird thing when you come into meet somebody again that already has kids. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, has, has that boat sailed for them? Are they not into that? Are they going to be open to this? Um, and luckily he was open for it, but not knowing what fertility would have in store for me. I kind of said, I, I'm just got this diagnosis of fibroids. I don't know what that even means for me as far as like how easy or hard it's going to be to get pregnant and go down this road. But are you up for that. Like, do you realize what could be coming? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. So the fertility doctor said, absolutely. You need to get them removed because of the location that they're in. You would not be able to conceive. So that made sense given what was going on. And he sent me to the gynecological oncologist because Mm -hmm. generally speaking, they have the best tools to do these types of surgeries. Mm -hmm. So I know for some people it sounds scary or they, but I always recommend if you're doing anything surgically with your ovaries, with your, with your uterus, anything, see if you can get into a gynecological oncologist because they are the most precise and they know what's happening in there more than anybody. Wow. Uh, Such a good point. Thank you for saying that. 
Yeah. And some, sometimes they won't see people that are obviously not cancer patients, but they can have a, usually 99% of the time I've found they have somebody that they recommend mm-hmm. uh, that will do it. That has the same technology. It's all about having the, the right surgical equipment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good you to know come out with more scar tissue and then that becomes an issue or mm-hmm. whatever. So anyhow, we did that surgery, waited our six months for my uterus to heal. And then, and they basically said at this point, you're 40, you need to try right now. So we did. And we got pregnant the first time, which was like, oh my God, it's a miracle. <laughs> like mm-hmm. not a miracle, but like that happened so fast. I can't believe it. And we had this very naive sense of like, oh my God, this is so easy. We're going to be right. do this again so easily. Like We're totally nailing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it took. Mm-hmm. So we had... Number one, we I had some complications because of that surgery within the pregnancy, but nothing major. I ended up having to have a plan C section, which was fine. And then go on to number two, and it wasn't so easy. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where from the fibroids being a roadblock to number two, realizing, okay, want, want, want. <laughs> I guess it's not as easy as we thought it had been. Mm-hmm. Um, so after months of trying to get pregnant and knowing my age, I, at this point I'm 41, almost 42, went back to the fertility doctor again, just to see like what, and he had followed me through my first pregnancy because of the, the fibroids and the, are my relationship with him, which was very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in turn with him, he's saying, yes, we can do IVF given your age and knowing that you don't have time on your hands. He was not somebody that recommended doing IUI because of the fact he didn't have control over that essentially is what he was saying. You know, mm. he's like, I can put the sperm up there, but I can't guarantee it's going to meet the egg. Mm, interesting. And okay. I don't want to spend your time and money to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit disappointed in that because I felt like, oh, well, I got pregnant the first time. So I feel like my body can do it. You know, you right. justify all these things in your head, right? About yeah. the things we hear and whatnot. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, I felt like, okay, I get where he's coming from. That makes sense, right? It, it's not a guarantee that it's going to meet the egg, but I don't know. I was not, I was very hesitant to do IVF. What was your hesitancy, do you think? Um, I just felt like it was going to be a big undertaking. Mm-hmm. And knowing that what I had done just with the egg retrieval before, I was just, I just knew it was a lot. And also having come, having had a pregnancy, I'm like, you know, is this really the right thing to do? And I think a lot of people have that conversation in their head of like, when to, when to make that jump to say, okay, we're going to do this, right? Like Mm -hmm. sign me up. We're going to spend all the money. Money was also an issue as far as like, we didn't have insurance coverage on any of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a big chunk of money to, to leave, but we, we decided we were going to do it. So we had our appointment to do our calendar and get all of our medications ordered. I remember like she marked the bullseye circle on my bum of like, this is where you need to do the injection, all that stuff. So we did that left. I went back the next time to do my blood work before I went to pick up my medication. And I got the call that I was pregnant where, you know, that 11 o'clock call in the morning after you do your blood work in the morning. And he's like, well, Elizabeth, guess what? You're not going to be needing to pick up those medications because you're pregnant. I fell off my chair. I couldn't literally fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. It was like, 
we were with that story that you hear of, you know, like, right. It just happens. And unfortunately I miscarried that baby and going through the process again of seeing them, you know, the heartbeat several times and all of that stuff kind of made me again, through the first one, being very naive that everything was, everything was there and it was going to stick and thinking, okay, this happened again. So everything is there and it's going to stick. And when it didn't, it was like, I don't even know how to explain it, right? It's I mean, so it's crushing like, and devastating. How far along were you? Not that it matters, not that it's like, you know, worse yeah. or better or any of that. I'm just curious in terms totally, of your yeah. time. We were just under 11 weeks. And yeah, I agree. It, it, whether it happens right away or it happens right line, it's kind of all the same. It's, but Yeah, I always say yeah. loss is a loss and it's as hard as shit no matter when it happens. Yeah. And it's just so shocking. I remember just being so shocked, I mm. think, because of the f- having the first one, you know, and and being very naive in the fact that that was even a thing. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No so family had had it. No one I knew had talked about it. Literally nobody I know had ever spoken of it as a thing for me. Wow. So none of your friends had talked about miscarriage or anything like that? No. Nope. And granted, I was 41 or two at that time. Um, so I had, you know, oh, none of my friends, my peers were actually having kids at that time. But even still, like my best friends had all had like four and three kids at a time when we were out of high school and stuff. No one had told me about this. Right. So, so how did you guys cope and how did your husband feel? So he was very supportive. He was more crushed for me than him. hmm because he had actually had a miscarriage with his first wife that I didn't know about at, at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, and their miscarriage, though, had happened at home. Ours was, I had a DNC. Mine mm-hmm. was like, we were watching Shaws of Sunset one night, and I went to the bathroom, and I had a red spot of blood, and mm. it was like the size of a nickel. No big deal. That was That was it. I never saw any more blood again. But, you know, unfortunately... That's all there. That all that was needed. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's never never fun. But um, I did the DNC and we did the tissue testing and found out that it was a trisomy. And I remember so many people saying like, "Oh, well, at least this and at least that, and you know, it's God's way and this and that and whatever." And I remember thinking like, I just wanted to tell everyone to f off. Like mm-hmm. none, none of that justification made me feel better. No. Never. It never does. At least anything never really is the right thing to say in any of these situations, I find. Oh, and I started writing my first book, Mama's After Miscarriage, because I remember thinking that no matter who or what, whether you've had a child that has lived or not or whatever, you're always a mama to that spirit, that soul that's out there Mm -hmm. and realizing, okay, this is why people don't talk about it because you feel ashamed and guilty and embarrassed and broken and all of these things. Like no wonder people aren't talking about it because those aren't fun things to talk about. Right. Exactly. But even more so that we do need to talk about it so you don't feel so alone when it's happening to you. And I'm so grateful now that there's so many conversations in the community and everywhere that people can know they're not alone and they can Mm -hmm. call somebody, they can call you, they can call me, they can say like, I need help. This is what's happening to me. 
you know, how did you feel when it was happening to you or whatever, just to have somebody on the other end of the phone. Absolutely. Or DM or email, you know, there's so many ways to reach out now. You can even just search for a hashtag miscarriage and you'll get all these accounts. So it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty awesome how it's the stigmas are being broken even more daily and daily. Thank goodness for sure. So that led to, you know, having, I always had this knowing after that baby number two, especially that I, I had a knowing that I had to have three kids. I can't explain why or how, or where that would come from being somebody who was 42 at the time and not being somebody who had the burning desire mm-hmm. that I had to have kids. It was just this, something that came over me. My husband thought I was out of my mind. Like we are lucky to have one healthy baby. And I couldn't agree with him more, but there was this knowing that pushed me to keep going. Mm -hmm. And I didn't kind of know, like, at what point do you stop? Right. Especially with my age, I didn't, that, that's a big issue. But at the same time, I had the knowing what overpowered the age factor for me in some Mm -hmm. way. I always try to tell people to get in touch with whatever that knowing is for you and let that intuition guide you to make your decisions because people will give you their opinions, especially the medical side of like your age and your egg quality and whatever. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have your children yourself. There's so many ways to be a parent of Mm -hmm. three, if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just finding that right path for you and your spouse or your partner, or even you alone to get to that point. And there's so many beautiful options. Um, But anyhow, we ended up conceiving number two naturally again, after miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And then for number three, that we had another miscarriage, unfortunately, and complications after that with tissue left over in the uterus and my doctor telling me that it was nothing. So I had to go get second opinions on that. Again, advocating for yourself. I cannot say it enough. Mm-hmm. Like, listen to your body, listen to your intuition, talk to other people, even though everybody is different talk to other people and say, is this normal that I'm waking up, you know, soaked in blood or whatever it is? Yeah. Was that happening to you? I, yeah. I would wake up in the middle of the night and my bed was literally soaked in blood, oh, like God. a dead body. It was the craziest thing. Um, Scary. And still being told like everything is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this was like weeks after, you know, and, and we all know like, even having that going to the bathroom and still having that blood is the daily reminder of that loss, right? Yeah, 100%. I still have PTSD from that. My son that I had through IVF is now five Mm -hmm. and I still have the wiping like PTSD where like if I have my period and I wipe and it's bloody, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like TTC right now because that would be, you know, like you just go right back to that point. Right. And I try to tell people too, that, that it it is a real thing. The PTSD is a real thing, Mm -hmm. you know, get help for that. There is help out there that can help you deal through that trauma because it is trauma and it stays in your body and you want to help work that through so that you can not be in that space. right? Right. Exactly. With the second miscarriage, was it the same kind of deal where you were out the same farness along and like, yeah, we was were it 11 weeks on the second one and no heartbeat again, or had you heard it? And then, yeah, um, we had heard it. So it, we had been followed by the RE again through the whole time. So we had seen it literally from day one that we could see it. Um, 
five and a half weeks on each one. So every week for however right. long. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. And I think, and, you know, you just never forget those moments of being on that table where they're looking and looking and looking and you're like, okay, you're praying. You <laughs> please God, let this happen. And you, it's this awkward moment with the doctor, like yeah. they don't know what to say. Right. You're kind of in shock. This one was exceptionally hard for my husband, I think, because he knew how hard it was for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll never forget him crying during that ultrasound and thinking like, oh my God, what do I do now? Because he's my rock. And right now he's falling apart. And the doctor has been through this process through us with us for now a few years. So he's upset, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it was just one of those things where I quickly realized like, this is a moment that I'll never forget in my life. Of, right. I don't know. Like I get goosebumps even thinking about I know, it. me too. There's so many people that have been in that situation, you know, and it's so surreal in a way. Yeah. Like you, in one moment, you think your life is going one direction. And then that story that you wrote in your head is taken away. Um, Completely. Yeah. And then also for most of us that are in that situation, we we want to try again, right? We're, we're still trying. So you're dealing with this trauma of loss and the PTSD of what you've experienced, but yet you know that there's a biological clock and you, if you want this end goal, you have to get it back up on the horse and go again. And that's mm -hmm. really hard to do um, with that experience under your belt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's so right. There's so many people that can help support you through that now, if anybody's going through it. Um, yeah. So tell me, how did you guys get to the next point after that one? So after that, it was, okay, I, we emotionally couldn't be going through this anymore. So it was, let's do IVF and or IUI. The doctor that I went to for the second opinion to, for the leftover fetal tissue after that miscarriage, um, I really liked him. I had already been seeing fertility clients. So I had gone to his office as a coach with mm -hmm. other clients. So I saw how he worked and everything as well. So he was up for doing IUI. So we decided let's do, let's do a round of medicated cycle first mm -hmm. and that work. Um, and actually now that I'm thinking about this, I went to another doctor also to get another opinion on that. As soon as I walked in the door, he didn't even look at my history and told me to do egg donor. Um, oh, wow. And I kind of knew at that time, like, I just, I, I think I'd, yeah, I'd already had two, my second and subsequent second miscarriage, but I just kind of felt like I wasn't ready to go down that road anymore. Like mm -hmm. yet I should say. And that brought up the, the question of, would we go down that road to get to my three number? Right. I right. think of a, of three. So is that even an option of something that I would consider or was it just not, I don't want to consider it yet. Mm -hmm. And luckily we went back to the IUI after we tried the two medicated rounds that didn't work and the IUI ended up working and that, and we have number three this way. So, wow. Uh, yeah. We so how was that pregnancy? Cause pr let's talk a little bit about you know, pregnancy after loss. Did you have the oh PTSD of that and the anxiety and scanxiety and all the things? 
all of the things. Mm-hmm. And mind you, and this is what I tell people too, as far as like your coaches, your therapists, whatever, like they're people too. So even though we have the tools, it's it's still hard, right? So if somebody comes across to you as, oh, they're perfect and they have it all under control, don't believe that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, nobody does, right? Luckily, I had the tools to work through that on that last pregnancy, but it was literally standing outside the office and and working through those tools of calming the anxiety and the PTSD literally every time I would go into the door for a scan. Mm-hmm. And I remember debating, like, because you get watched every week, do I want to go in every week? Like, would I rather see the progress every week or would I rather, and this is ho- awful to say, but if I miscarried, would I rather know that there's a dead baby inside of me and not know for two or three weeks at a time because I'm choosing not to do the scans? Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And we decided to continue with the scans that I would rather know what's happening, even though it was so hard to, to go. And like, we literally would say to, if it was not the doctor who was doing the ultrasound, like, please go straight to the heartbeat. Like, I don't need to see anything else first, like mm-hmm. right there, because you're literally holding your breath until you can see a heart completely. I think so many people listening are going to be able to relate to that. Yeah. And then even past that, I mean, you, especially now that there's the, the downside, I would say to the openness of the community is you're very aware of other things that can happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So I always say it goes in weight of like progress. So first it's getting pregnant, then it's staying pregnant, then it's getting to your 12 weeks, then it's the anatomy scan and whatever. And that's all with, you know, normal things going on. There's a lot of people that have other complications in between that it doesn't even look like that. And it's kind of stressful all the way. So only you can determine kind of the help and support that you need through that. And, and don't be afraid to ask for help and support through those processes, because it is very stressful. This is the most precious thing you could ever want in your life. And it's, it's normal to be worried and, and stressed about it. But at the same time, we want to try to regulate that because it's not healthy for your baby. Mm -hmm. I'm all about epigenetics and how that plays out in our bodies. And, and, you know, a big part of that is controlling our stress levels because of the stress hormones that are passed on through the placenta. Yes. I'm obsessed with epigenetics. I mean, I mostly talk about it in terms of donor eggs and stuff, but are you're you're saying in regular pregnancy or not, sorry, not regular. You're saying in non-donor conceived pregnancies as well? Yes, absolutely. So for people who might not have heard any other episodes, can you give us the brief rundown of what epigenetics are? Yeah. So it's essentially, you know, it used to be that if you were pregnant and you went to the doctor, they would say like, what are you eating and drinking? And are you being healthy in that way? For me and my clients, it's more of, you know, what is your stress level? Because we it's like the imprint essentially outside of your DNA. So your DNA is your DNA and we can't change that your chromosomes and what you bring to the table and what are, whether you're getting a donor or your spouse or whoever it may be, that's one thing. But this, we now know that the stress hormones that run through our blood carry what's called epigenetics. So that leaves an imprint on them. So there's a lot of studies that are done around, 
you know, let's say you have an aversion to, there's a study around mice and an aversion to cherry blossoms, <laughs> um, which is my favorite example. Mm-hmm. Because it's so basic, but they basically trained these mice to have an aversion to cherry blossom smells. Mm-hmm. And so that that's not on their DNA strand. It's nothing to do with that. But the subsequent generations, two, three down the line, still had an aversion to cherry blossoms. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. If we're carrying on stress in our bodies when we're pregnant, no matter how you got pregnant, you know, whether it's a donor egg or whatever, th- your blood is still traveling through that placenta. Mm-hmm. So the stress levels and or hopefully non-stress levels that you're carrying in your blood go to your placenta and therefore get imprinted on your baby. Your baby is learning its environment when it's inside of you. So if you're stressed all the time, it's learning, okay, when I come out of this environment, I'm coming into a stressful environment. Mm -hmm. So I need to be ready and, and things start moving and building in their bodies to be prepared for a stressful environment. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So did you, obviously now you are a fertility coach. Did you and you started the coaching while you were still kind of in the midst of your family building, right? So was that tricky? It wasn't because it was at that point, it was kind of like the, the, it wasn't even a side hustle. It was more of, I have a friend who's going through this, Elizabeth, can you go to the fertility doctor with them? Or they just had a miscarriage. Can you talk to them? I've been a life coach for 10 years prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so people more saw it as like somebody who has gone through this herself, but really it was more of like the, the life coaching therapist aspect of it as well to Mm -hmm. work through the tools of, I'm all about like, if you're going to tell me something to do, give me the A to B so I can go to C versus don't tell me to not be stressed and not know how to do that. Cause I don't know how to do that or tell you how to surrender, like tell you to surrender, but not tell you how to surrender. Like that's, that's not helpful to me. Right. Right. Yes. I need something that's helpful in order for me to have results. So yeah, it just parlayed itself into that by word of mouth, by people recommending me to friends and things like that. And so naturally my life coaching practice just merged into fertility through it, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was helpful at the time because it was almost like an unconscious movement there because I think if I was consciously saying and marketing myself as I'm just doing fertility coaching now, it would have been different in the time because I think it is such a sensitive thing to go through to be able to help people that are going through it when you're going through it is, it can be very triggering, you know, right. yeah. um, for not only for you, but also your clients because definitely. They, again, as I was saying about social media too, we subconsciously take on other people's energy. And, you know, I was very aware of that at the time and still am. I don't, I don't want people to take on my energy, good, bad, or indifferent, right? I always say you're writing your own story. This is your story. So it doesn't matter, you know, whatever happens to anyone else, it's yours. Right. take some hope for it from things and leave it at that at a very high level of like, yes, it's possible to have kids over 40. Great. Leave it at that. You don't mm-hmm. need outs or whatever, but there's so much that's charged behind working with people that are going through fertility, you know? Right. So what would be some of the kind of main points? Like if somebody hires you as a coach and is new to, you know, 
trying to conceive kind of doesn't really have a plan? Like what are some of the things that you can do for them or like some takeaways that you can share with us? So first of all, we look at their kind of medical history. I don't diagnose, but I help them look through that. And we just discuss, are there any red flags? Are there things that may have come up that maybe you can go back to your doctor and ask about and, or get a second opinion? Um, have you been overstimulated on your retrievals, understimulated that those sorts of things? Um, we also talk about nutrition and lifestyle. And I have a lot of people that are holding on so tightly to a fertility diet because mm -hmm. like that's, you know, what's going to get them to the other side. And sometimes that stress of holding on to a diet of what not to eat is causing them more problems. Right. Mm -hmm. So we look at that to say, what is it really that is going to be beneficial or harmful for your specific body? So we go through inflammation tests to see, okay, is it, you know, I have some clients that are allergic to chicken that we've realized. So taking out that uh, inflammatory cause helps them to get to the other side because they were eating chicken because they're not a meat eater. So mm -hmm. simple things like that, where we don't need to reinvent the wheel on everything, but we do need to be very specific to your body mm -hmm. as well as the supplements that they're taking. So we make sure that they're based on their blood work. Are the supplements that they're taking helping them or are they depleting them of minerals and supplements that they need for their body for success. So again, depending on if you have gene mutations or if your testosterone is too high or whatever, you want to make sure that you're not taking some of those things that may be on the online list of fertility supplements. Mm -hmm. um, and then the huge part is the mental side of it. So I mentioned this in fertility rally that there's studies that have shown you're up to 55% more likely to conceive if you're working on your mental state as well. And that's because you're controlling your cortisol levels, your adrenal levels, all of those things, again, that go back to the epigenetics um, that go into your blood that, that help you to conceive. And if those levels are all high, your body is basically in that fight, you know, fight or flight state of saying mm -hmm. it's not safe to conceive here. So we look through everything in your life, whether it's, you know, family work, relationships, all of those things to work through tools to make sure you're at a great place so that you can conceive and or figuring out if that's not what's right for you and then giving you the tools and resource to, to say, maybe it's adoption, maybe it's embryo adoption, maybe it's egg donors and just giving you kind of a shortcut to get to those places mm -hmm. so that you spend less time, less money to get to your end goal of being a parent. So there's lots of different routes. Everybody's situation is so different and so individual. Um, so we work through that as well as giving them resources like Fertility Rally to make sure that they are finding the community that's helpful and healthy for them. Um, because I feel like going down that rabbit hole sometimes of the, the Facebook groups or things that are not what's the word productive uh, or like yeah. supportive or and or controlled in a way. Right. So, yeah. Like vetted. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Vetted is the right word to say. Um, and, and making sure that it's a healthy environment for you to be in and supported and you're not going to hear somebody's story that you shouldn't be hearing and, or it getting advice. That's maybe not the right advice for yourself. So constructive places to be in a community sense, because it's so helpful to make sure that you're able to be able to know that you're not alone in the, in the path. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening to my story with Elizabeth and Miss Elizabeth King. Thank you so much for sharing. Guys, check her out on Instagram and definitely go to her website as well and check out her coaching services and everything she offers. I also want to let you guys know that Fertility Rally is open since it's the first week of September. So we're open from the 1st through the 7th. And this is the community that I co-founded with Blair Nelson because we both have been through this and we wanted to create something to let people know they're not alone. They can be supported. They could find their people. So we are open now. We offer two different support groups every single week, two private Facebook groups, one-on-one calls with Blair and me, tons of support in so many different forms. And then we have our entire website, which is full of videos and interviews and blogs and resources and discounts. So check it out at fertilityrally.com. You can join today. Let me know if you have any questions and um, we open the first week of every month. So get on it. Don't wait because we're going to close up again on the 7th. Okay. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next time.